Welcome to Back to the Future, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by ChangeUp. I'm Owen Shadrick, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Johnny Maffey. Johnny, this weekend starts four great weekends of baseball on Nesson for the Futures League, and we had play-by-play announcer Donnie Percaro to start it off. Yep, you know, we're super busy right now. The All-Star selections were announced yesterday, and Nesson, Saturday, noon, in Worcester. Not that you care at home, because you're going to be watching Check your local listings right here. It's super easy on the phone. You just go to the tab at Nesson.com. You can find where you need to watch because I know you don't know where Nesson is because you're watching Blue Frame Futures games every night. Yeah, we're extremely excited and honored to have our games on Nesson, and it's going to be a great week of Futures League baseball. The draft's coming up, the All-Stars game's coming up, and this month full of Nesson games. It's great for the league. Yeah, so this Saturday, it'll be Donnie Percaro, who is our guest today in the booth. He'll be doing the play-by-play for all four games. Colin Quinn from the Pittsfield Suns will be joining him, and I will, uh, weird brag, be on the sidelines with another another Worcester Bravehearts press box guy, Paul Lambert, who is um, a stud as well. He knows what he's doing. Donnie knows what he's doing, and this is a great interview with Donnie. Yeah, we're extremely excited for you all to hear this interview with Donnie. He talks about nesting, talks about the Bravehearts, and we're going to stop talking and get you to the interview. So without further ado, we present our interview with Don Percaro. Let's roll. We'll see you on Nesson. At this time, we are honored to be joined by our next guest, who has been a jack of all trades in the press box at Hanover Insurance Park and will be the play-by-play announcer for our four games on Nesson in July. It's Don Percaro of the Worcester Bravehearts. Donnie, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Back to the Futures. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm glad to be on. I know we talked about this for a while so uh, glad to be on and hope you guys are doing good yeah we're doing well and excited to get started here and first question first off tell us what you do for the Worcester Bravehearts you know you I said jack of all trades in the in the intro but what what is your role with the Worcester Bravehearts yeah so uh my official title I guess you can say is uh production director which uh for most sports teams kind of means a combination of the broadcast side of things uh, you know, getting the broadcast rolling, producing the broadcast, along with any type of game operation uh, stuff. So that includes the game day scripts, uh, any of the promotions we do, uh, sponsorship activation, stuff like that. Uh, basically, any entertainment that you see within the organization, whether that's uh, if you're at a game and you see the in-between inning stuff or whether you're watching it at home and you see the broadcast stuff. Uh, I've kind of been running that side of things. But because this is the Futures League and it's the Worcester Bravehearts and it's how we operate here, uh, you know, it's a lot more. And everyone who works in the Bravehearts department kind of does a lot more uh, than their job entails. And that's because, A, we we love it. We want to be here. We're passionate about it. And, B, it's because you kind of have to when you're working in, uh, you know, non-professional sports. So, uh, along with that, I am also a, a tarp puller at times, which this season has seemed like it's been my full-time job. Uh, considering we've had to pull it like three times a week because the weather's been, you know, whatever. But um, along with that, it's a combination of even stuff like selling tickets, uh, selling sponsorships, um, and then, you know, just doing stuff around the office, community relations events. Uh, Sometimes it means being in a mascot suit, you know, which fortunately I haven't uh, gotten the opportunity to do that yet this year, but uh, I've been a handler for the mascots. So stuff like that, uh, really just any way you can help out in the organization. And quick follow-up here, you know, one of your jobs that you didn't mention is you're the all-time winningest coach in Bravehearts history. <laughs> well, winning percentage-wise, I guess you can say, the all-time winningest coach. I am uh, 1-0, although the second game was controversial because what happened was uh, when we went down to Vermont, which is a four-hour trip, uh, a couple of our assistant coaches early on in the season, they couldn't make it. They had prior uh, commitments because our coaches do do other things uh, besides coach the Worcester Bravehearts. And uh, so early in the season, I know Alex had, uh, you know, he coached the Milford high school team and uh, there was a couple other things that they had going on. So I actually went down to Vermont as an assistant coach and uh, game one, I coached first base. We won the game and uh, the first inning, uh, this is probably the, the pride of my coaching career. I sent Sebastian Salado from first base to second base on what looked to be a single that turned into a double. So that was like the highlight of my uh, coaching career. The second game, Alex's uh, whatever he had, the game I think got rained out for the other team he was supposed to coach. So he ended up taking the trip up to Vermont, got there just in time for game time, 
so I was not on the field to be a first base coach and we lost that game. So I'm not counting it. I'm counting it as one and oh, I'm undefeated in my Bravehearts coaching career. However, it's controversial, I guess you could say. Yeah, back to your <clears throat> back to your off the field duties for for game two there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I didn't cover the game. You know, I was just kind of roaming in the dugout. But then again, I really have an official role. So if it's up to me, I'm not counting. It. I'm one and oh, that's how I'm taking it. We won't count it either. <laughs> so you've been with the Hearts for a few years now. You've gotten exposure, obviously, on social media. You've gotten exposure on the Blue Frame broadcasts. And in the weirdest year last year of all of our lives, you got this regional experience on Nesson. How awesome was that last year? Nesson was a blast. I mean, I when I was five years old, I watched the Red Sox, obviously, as every other baseball fan in New England did. And it was Don Orsello for me. You know, he was the guy. He was my favorite guy. We had the same name. And it was the Red Sox broadcast in general, which were on Nesson. So, uh, when I was a kid, it wasn't ESPN for me. It wasn't, um, you know, TNT. It wasn't anything like that. It was Nesson. And so uh, when I was six years old, I think my mom got me for my birthday. a uh, It was like a, a handheld mic. And it was like this ESPN, like radio thing. Basically, like you're pretending to be a broadcaster. And it was like the best Christmas present or birthday present I ever got. And it was like one of the few I remember from the time I was like six or seven. And uh, I still have it somewhere stored in my attic or something. And uh, I pretended I was on Nesson. I would shut down the volume. I would completely turn off the, the volume on the TV and I would broadcast like she loved it. And uh, yeah, and I just kind of always dreamed on being on Nesson. So when that opportunity came up last year, uh, it was something that was really special to me because I kind of said it, you know, uh, a lot of stuff did get taken away from, from me and a lot of others because of COVID and, you know, job opportunities and things like that. And I'm sure we'll get into all that, but uh, the one thing that, that kind of came out of that was the Nesson broadcast. And that's something that I tell people all the time, you know, regardless of where my life takes me, regardless of what I do for a living in sports, out of sports, whatever it is. Um, I got to live out a childhood dream last year for Nesson and that continues this year. So uh, that's definitely really awesome. And honestly, one of the highlights of not only COVID, but kind of my life, because like I said, it was kind of a childhood dream. Well, you get to continue that highlight Saturday, obviously, uh, you'll be calling four games the next four Saturdays. This is going to drop on Thursday, the 8th. Uh, so Saturday, the 10th will be the first one. Worcester's hosting Pittsfield. What are you looking forward to most about these games? I think just hosting a game at, at Fitton Field, uh, you know, being in Worcester and hosting the game, I think to me is such a special thing. So I've been with the Hearts. This is my fifth year with the team. And, you know, I've done broadcasts and I've done broadcast in front of a sold out crowd with 5,000 people there, which again, is something I never really thought I would do to, you know, be able to broadcast a game in front of 5,000 people uh, was so awesome in 2019. And then obviously COVID happened. And uh, last year, the game that the Bravehearts had was the game that was in Campanelli stadium with the Brockton rocks. And because it was Massachusetts, it was no fans. So the other two games I did in Nashua and uh, new Britain, both had fans. The one game, that there was no fans was the Bravehearts game, you know? So I still, to this day, although I broadcasted around the league, uh, haven't done a Bravehearts game on Nesson with fans. So the fact that we're going to have a pretty, pretty big crowd on Saturday, uh, we have the sign me up contest, which is basically you bring a sign, you get a free hot dog. So it's going to be a bunch of signs in the stands. Uh, it's going to be a bunch of people loving it. I think that's what I'm most excited for because in reality, I haven't even broadcasted a game at uh fit and field since I want to, yeah, 2019 was the last time I actually broadcasted a game because I've been running the broadcast now uh, that changes tonight, actually. So my debut is actually tonight on the FCBL network uh, because I kind of wanted to get, you know, a game in or two before I just go straight to Nesson. So uh, I will be getting kind of like a warm up uh, game. We got a double header, so I'll be able to get at least, what is it? 14 innings of baseball. in. so uh, hopefully that helps out a little bit, but yeah, it's going to be really exciting for, uh, just to be at Fenton Field and with the Bravehearts, a home game uh, to broadcast out on Nesson. I'm looking forward to it. You can't just roll out of bed and go on Nesson? <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll see. It's an early game, and I have to be there pretty early. So, I mean, quite literally, I am probably rolling out of bed <laughs> and uh, being on Nesson. But, yeah, I, I figured at least get one game in before we uh, we start to roll. I remember I did a sideline interview or a uh, post-game interview early on in the season when uh, I was covering one of the road games in Nashua. And I hadn't done that in a while either. And I looked back at the interview and I was like, oh my God, I can't even post this. Like, it's so bad. And so like reminds me of when I was like a freshman in college doing this stuff. 
Uh, so I definitely need to uh, get a little practice in before I just start going live on this. And you talk about living out a childhood dream. You grew up in the Worcester area and the Bravehearts have obviously been a staple of baseball in that area since their inaugural season. What have the Bravehearts meant to you in particular, especially as a kid who's grown up in the Worcester area? Uh, I mean, to be honest, they've meant everything when it comes to sports and my career in sports. I can go through all the jobs I've had in sports besides the Bravehearts, but every single one of them kind of circle back to Worcester and circle back to the Bravehearts, you know, um, whatever it is between my broadcasting career, between my community relations career, live events career, everything that I've done, every interview I've ever taken, um, a majority of the conversation is the hearts. And the thing that's been really special to me and the reason why I keep coming back for five seasons now is because every year I've been able to do something different. You know, I have the brave hearts on my resume for five years, uh, but I went to college in Boston and, you know, so many of my friends in the Boston area would be like, Hey, you know, why don't you just spend the summer in Boston uh, you live out here anyways, and, you know, get an internship with somewhere in Boston. You know, there's a bunch of teams in Boston, obviously the Red Sox play in Boston. And it's like, look, uh, you know, as much as I have the same team on my resume for five years, I have five different positions every summer, you know, and this summer has became more of like an actual, all right, I'm in the office every single day uh, type of role where I started off as an intern, you know, just as everyone else, press box intern was the official title. Uh, and I was basically controlling a camera. It was back and forth, you know, moving one camera uh, from the press box. And that was basically my job for the first, I want to say, two days of the season. And then uh, I got my first opportunity to broadcast the game, literally my third or fourth game into the Bravehearts organization. And it's like, how many times do you get hired to be an intern where you think you're just going to be on camera? And then three days into your internship, you're doing a game. And that's kind of what it was. We were short a color commentator. And I said, hey, I'll do it. I'll jump right on it. I want to do this they trusted me enough to say, all right, go for it. Uh, I guess they liked me uh, because obviously the next season I was hired full time. And the first season I got to do a lot of games, uh, which was really cool as well. I got to do most of the weekend games. And then by the second season, I was working uh, the broadcast basically full time. By the third season, I was in charge of the broadcast, in charge of the press box, kind of running the show down there. And then last season I moved over to the production side of things. And in 2019 or 2018, I'm sorry, uh, I also worked for the Massachusetts Pirates, which was right around the area, doing live events, doing uh, – I was the MC over there. So that's when I really kind of fell in love with the live event side of things, the fans and doing the game scripts and the promotions. And so I kind of told the Bravehearts, I was like, look, I really enjoy broadcasting. It's something that obviously it's a childhood dream, but I also really enjoy the promotion side of things, and that's something I want to get into. They said, okay, we're going to have you write the game scripts. Perfect. So – I started writing the game scripts then a little bit for them, uh, kind of filled in for Dave when needed. And then in 2019, they said, hey, you know, if you want to get into sports, you probably want to get into the media relations side of things. So I ended up producing their souvenir programs, you know, and then 2020 came and it was the production side. It was the blue frame and the broadcast and working the Nesson deal and stuff like that. And now this season, it's been a combination of everything being, uh, you know, the pr production director. So, uh, yeah, every year I say it's just kind of a new thing. and I've been able to have new experiences. So that's definitely been uh, kind of a key, key thing with the hearts for me is the fact that they give me every, every opportunity I ask for, have something new. Uh, you know, they're kind of in the business of saying yes to a lot of the ideas as long as I can follow through with it. So uh, that's my biggest thing with the hearts. Yeah, you're definitely following through with all of it. So you've climbed through the ranks, you've gotten all this experience, you get to showcase it on your resume, on, on LinkedIn, wherever. How important is climbing through the ranks like this and doing all of these things like Owen said, jack of all trades type of, type of experience? Yeah, I think the most important thing that I've learned in the sports industry is the fact that you have to do so much to kind of understand the different roles of each industry and to each department of each industry. So for example, you know, I, I love the promotion side of things. I love being able to kind of make the fans happy. And I think that's why it's been such a good fit with Worcester. It's because that's what they're all about is making fans happy um, and having them leave the stadium smiling and not only your fans, but your sponsors and your season ticket holders and your single game ticket holders and everything in between. And so this year with the Bravehearts, you know, I'm kind of getting into the more of the sponsorship aspect and the sponsorship activation and when I was with the Celtics, that was a big thing too. You know, anything that's sponsored, you, whether it's the half court shootout 
or whether it's the t-shirt toss, everything has some type of big sponsor on it, right? So you want to make sure that those people are happy and you want to make sure your season ticket holders are happy. So doing promotions, you kind of figure out what makes them happy, what makes them unhappy. So uh, on that side of things, you have the community relations side of things. When I worked with the Bruins, uh, that was my main department was community relations. So going to different events and seeing how fans interact with players, uh, seeing how fans interact with staff members. Uh, you know, the 50-50 raffle was a big thing I used to do with the Celtics too, uh, which transitioned me into my role with the Bruins. So everything that I've kind of learned going up through the ranks is the fact that they're, everything is intertwined. You know, if you want to be a broadcaster, you also need to know how fans react to your broadcasting skills. You need to know what gets people excited. If you want to sell tickets, you need to know sponsorships. You need to know uh, community relations, where your main markets are, who your main markets are. Uh, with the Bravehearts in general, you know, if we go into a bunch of colleges and high schools and we're trying to sell Bravehearts tickets, it's probably not going to go too well because our main audience are groups and families and things like that. Do college kids and high school kids go to our games? Sure. But, uh, you know, when I look through Snapchat on a nightly basis, I'm not seeing a bunch of my, my friends at Bravehearts games. However, it's still a packed house because it's, you know, it's the elementary school kids and it's the kids who look at the Bravehearts as if they're, you know, these big time celebrities because in Worcester, they kind of are, you know, and uh, they love it. The players are great. It's a lot of signing autographs, it's a lot of taking pictures and stuff like that. So you have to know your main audience. And, uh, you know, I'm really, really lucky with the opportunities that I've been able to get with different teams, especially before COVID uh, because it really puts in perspective, um, you know, what you have to do to succeed in the sports industry. And uh, it was funny because, you know, one, one example I do have is uh, the other week we were leading a, uh, it was a basically a boy scout uh, girl scout camp parade for uh, the Bravehearts before one of the games. And they asked if I could help, help, you know, run it and help out with that. And I said, sure. And it was a group of, I'd say a hundred Cub Scouts, and uh, it was pretty simple. You know, it was a simple thing. And the reason why it was so simple is because 12 months prior, uh, you know, I was leading 200 kids onto the court of TD Garden. And if you're 30 seconds late or if you miss a cue for that, you're getting yelled at by production directors for TNT and ESPN and stuff like that. So it's a lot more high stakes when there's 18,000 people in the crowd and uh, you got million dollar sponsorships on the line as opposed to, you know, a, a pack of 50 to 100 scouts and uh, you're leading a parade. So uh, I'd say that's definitely kind of been the most important thing for me. Hold on, we'll get right back to Donnie. But first, we want to share a message from our friends at 78 Sports. Do you have kids playing baseball or softball? We all know practice time is limited, especially here in New England, not to mention the cost of lessons and cage time can add up quickly. Save yourself time and money by giving your kids what they need to work on their game at home. Our friends at 78 Sports can help you put together the perfect at-home training setup. Whether you want to start small with just a tee and hitting net or looking to set up a full cage with turf and a pitching machine, they have you covered. The team at 78 Sports has designed and installed hundreds of home and commercial sports training facilities. So let them help you plan the perfect setup for your space. Visit the 78 Sports website at 78sports.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y number eight sports.com. For a limited time, just by mentioning Back to the Futures, you'll receive a 10% discount off your order. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, number eight sports.com. Now, back to Don Percaro. Yeah, and you talked about kind of knowing the moment and, you know, trying to hype up the fans. One person that does that more better than anybody else is your GM and boss, Dave Peterson, who has been a vital part of the success in Worcester on and off the field. What is your relationship like with him? Uh, it's, it's great. I mean, me and Dave are back and forth every single day in the office, bouncing ideas off of each other. And, uh, you know, he's a big reason. One of the main reasons I'd say one of the main people influencers in my life in the sports industry that has gotten me to where I am. And I think a big part of that is because, uh, a it's, it's lead by example. I mean, he is the definition of lead by example, where he's out picking up trash, pulling the tarp, doing everything that a lot of people don't want to do you know we had a we hosted a legion tournament yesterday and uh or i'm sorry legion doubleheader and we just basically two legion teams it was shrewsbury and uh main south and it was pouring rain when the game was supposed to start at 5 30 you know and and we could have canceled the game we could have said hey go play somewhere else on another day and 
Dave was adamant that we were going to get those games in. You know, we had to do it because they wanted to play and we were going to do everything we could. So we pulled the tarp 15 minutes before the game and it rains for 20 minutes and we're out rolling water off the tarp for the next hour and a half. We pull the, we pull the tarp around seven 30. We start by eight o'clock and we have a double header, which ends at midnight. And for him, that's just another, another day, you know, and people ask all the time, like, Hey, you're getting to the office at eight 30 in the morning, nine o'clock, you're working till midnight. Aren't you burnt out? And it's like, yeah, but you know, you kind of learn from the best because Dave's been doing that for seven, eight years now, every single summer. So I think a it's lead by example. Cause like I said, he's always the one picking up trash, pulling the tarp, doing what you need to do. On top of that, it's, you can't take yourself too seriously in this industry. You know, I've worked with a lot of people who are great about that. I've worked with some people who aren't, you know, who think that because they're hired by these big companies and because they work for big name organizations, they can just, you know, treat it like it's like they are big time. And are you maybe, but uh, you know, if you're, if you're working for a big organization, you still have to treat everyone with respect. You still have to treat the fans with respect. And I think uh, a lot of my leadership skills have kind of stemmed off of what he's done because I've seen him kind of lead a staff for so many years now. So I think it's definitely helped me in that aspect as well, where, uh, you know, it, it's the creative process. And uh, some of the funnest times of the summer are just sitting around with me, Dave, and uh, our ticket sales guy, Nate Canelli, uh, director of ticket sales, and just bouncing off by, like ideas from each other for hours. I mean, I remember there was uh, a day right before the season where we were coming with our, we were coming up with our music playlist and it was just us three for two hours, putting together a list of a hundred songs that people would just dance to in the ballpark, you know? And those are the funnest times. Cause it's like, that's when our ideas get creative. And uh, last week we had a mascot ejected, you know, and that was kind of something that we came up with a promotion where it's like, this will be really cool. If we just run our old Worcester tornadoes mascot out from the middle of center field with the stone cold Steve Austin song blaring, you know, the glass shattering stuff like that. So it's really fun. I mean, Dave has just been such a great influence over the past couple of years and uh, it, it's great work with him. I love it. And we had him on season one and, you know, you talk about take, not taking yourself too seriously, a famous kind of, I guess, event in Worcester Bravehearts are the tequila rallies during what late inning games you have been a part of a couple of those, especially one this year that I still can't believe happened. So talk about those, where it originated from and just what the deal is. Yeah. So in 2019, uh, I remember I was on the call with Anthony Mazzini. Now Maz is one of the most talented broadcasters I've ever met. And he is also someone that is very, very serious about broadcasting, you know, and about his position. And it, it's funny to see, especially him, how he transitioned from being very serious to, you know, learning to not take himself too seriously and having fun on the broadcast. And I think uh, overall it made him a better broadcast for it. And now he's, he's, uh, he's big time. Now he uh, was on Barstool the other uh, week for uh, one of his calls and I'm happy for the kid, but back to the tequila game in 2019, we were playing the Nashua Silver Knights and the score early in the game, it was like a quick one, two, three inning for the first three innings of the game. And Maz had said on the broadcast, oh, it looks like this is going to be a quick one tonight, you know? And of course, everyone knows if you're a broadcaster, you don't say things like that because it turns out to be the complete opposite. Sure enough, in the seventh inning, eighth inning, the score is 17 to 10 and we're losing. It's a football score. Like it, it looked like we were going into the third quarter of a Holy Cross football game. And we're down 17 to 10 and it was our I, I'm pretty sure that night we broke our attendance record. Like that was, we broke it later on in the season after that, but that was uh, an attendance record. We had like five something thousand people in the crowd that night. And they're just sitting here watching the Bravehearts get their doors blown off. And, you know, we, we scored early. And then after that, Nashville just took over. And so in the eighth inning, we're like, listen, these fans are great. They're awesome. They're still into the game we need to do something that's going to get them involved and something that they're going to remember. And of course we had our, you know, our, our regular promotions, our table talk pie eating contests and all that other stuff, but it was like, let's do something that they're going to remember. And so we start playing tequila. It was our music guy, Ryan McConville, uh, who started playing the song. And I'm not honestly even sure if it was me, if it was Dave, or if it was someone that called out, Hey, let's just keep playing this song 
and Dave's going to do his dances and he's going to stop when the music stops. And then we're going to continue to play the song. And it was originally just Dave. And as the music continued to play, we noticed that there was more and more kids uh, doing the dance. And so someone made the call that we need to get two or three interns down and start dancing with these kids. And so sure enough, more kids are getting involved and there's probably 25 kids with now our old promotions director at the time, Eric Benoit, he's dancing in a banana suit now because he is the king of professional, but I don't take myself too seriously. Like that kid, when he is on the clock, when he is working, he's the most professional kid I've seen when he needs to not take himself too seriously. He dresses up in a banana suit and starts dancing. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, he starts dancing. We have a group of 25 kids dancing. And before you know it, behind home plate, there's just an all-out dance party going on. And it happens so quick in a matter of probably five to 10 minutes. And as we're dancing, there's two pitching changes. There's like three walks in the inning. There's a double. There's another hit that scores a run. And it's 17 to 14, 17 to 15. We're putting up four or five runs like it's nothing. And we're like, oh, my God, we might win this game. And... I'm broadcasting the game at the time. So I'm dumbfounded by everything that's going on. Our producer starts dancing. Our fan assistance person starts dancing. We have like six staff members dancing. We have 40 something people in the crowd dancing and I'm in the broadcast booth dancing as well, because again, can't take yourself too seriously. You got to do what you got to do. So we end up losing the game 17 to 16. We still put up six runs. It was kind of a very anticlimactic finish. But when the game got over, I mean, there were still probably three, 4,000, almost maybe even 5,000 people still left in the stands because they saw it, they wanted to get into it, and they were loving it. And even though we lost the game, and even though we were down 17-10, people came up to us and they were like, this was so awesome. This was so great. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for, you know, giving us this entertainment value. And uh, it was great. And we talked about it. And we always said that, you know, we wanted to bring it back. So this year – we had a plan to bring it back. We wanted to make something big out of an opening night. And then of course, just as seven or eight games have happened this year, we got rained out, you know, in the third inning, which we're making up tonight. And uh, so we really didn't get a chance to do it, but we decided to kind of make it almost an every game thing where anytime we were down late in the game, we would throw the tequila on and you guys know the drill and uh, we'd go from there. So this season, when we played Nashua, we had, uh, we were down, I think it was, at this point, six to one or seven to one or something. And again, we had a decent sized crowd and we were just flat the entire night. The first three, four innings the team was flat. And one thing that Dave preaches every uh, orientation for all the new workers is that there's some nights that we're going to be flat. And there's some nights that the team's going to be flat, you know, and for those nights that the teams are, the team's flat, we have to bring them up for the night that, Maybe we're having an off day. Maybe I'm having an off day. That's when the team steps up, you know, because if the staff is having kind of an off day, well, guess what? If the team's up 10, nothing, then the fans are going to have a good time. If the team's down 10, nothing, it's kind of our responsibility to be like, Hey, who cares about the score? We're going to have a good time. And you're going to not regret the fact that you're here and you're going to want to come back and you're not going to care if the score is 10, nothing. You're going to want to come back because it's going to be a fun time. And we're going to show you how to have fun. So they load the bases. And this is a little bit of an inside story here. Uh, so Dave was actually not present in the press box at the time. He was, uh, he had another priority with, uh, I think it was a sponsor or something where he was not actually on the field at the time. And I was producing the broadcast and it was seven to one and we were down and they had loaded the bases with nobody out. And I grabbed the radio cause that's how we communicate, uh, you know, within the ballpark. And I was calling for Dave. He wasn't there. And I was basically like, let's do the tequila right now. Let's just get into it because we usually do it to start the inning, you know? And uh, I was like, let's just do it right now. And uh, Dave wasn't there. And I was like, all right, well, I'm making the executive call. We're doing tequila. Let's just get as many people out there as we can. Let's do it. And uh, we did it. We started it and everything just kind of blew up again. And of course it was against Nashua and uh, we scored. We ended up taking the lead. Randy Flores steals home. It was like, Pretty sure it's probably the first time anyone has stole home in Braveheart's history. Like, you don't see that happen often. Uh, so, Randy stole home. The crowd's going nuts. There was two pitching changes again, and we end up winning the game. So, uh, it doesn't happen all the time when we do the tequila rally, but it's one of those things where 
we called it out, we made it work. And uh, it's, it's a fun time for the staff. And I think that really defines how good of a Braveheart you can be is if you can get up and you can dance like an idiot and give the fans something to look forward to. And at the same time, still do your job and act in a professional, professional manner after the fact, then you're going to be a good Braveheart. And I think that's kind of what we look for uh, when we look for new people to join the organization. Yeah. And it doesn't need to work all the time because you know, you guys are, if it works twice, then that gives the fans something to hope for. And it keeps them in it even when it doesn't work because they're dancing and having fun. Right. And I think that that's the whole goal of the Brave Arts is, uh, you know, it, it's all about fun. It's not about who wins or loses. And the first year that I worked for the team, I was such a hardcore fan. So I was like, this is so cool. Like I'm working for a team. Like, and, and now it's like, do I care if they win? Yeah. Do I want them to win? Yeah. But like the, if I see two, three, 4,000 people in the stands smiling, I don't care if the score is 10, nothing we're losing. Like it, it's all about the fans. And I've kind of brought that over to everywhere else where I've worked, where it's like, you know, uh, the, the one thing I missed during COVID and the one thing everyone missed was the fans. But I mean, to be able to go back at, I worked the, um, the Bruins playoff games this year. And just to see like 18,000 people back in the crowd was the, the best feeling in the world. You know, I, I tell people when I worked that first game, uh, where they allowed hundred percent capacity in the garden and the national anthem play. And like, I was, I, I caught myself like almost crying to the point where I'm like, Oh my God, like, I'm so happy to be back. Like, this is so cool. And it's like, you miss that, you know, and you don't realize how much you miss it until it's gone. But it, to have, to have all like just a packed house anywhere you're at, whether it's the Bravehearts, the Bruins, the Celtics, anything like that, uh, just to see a packed house and people having a blast. It's, it, it's awesome. Yeah, and we'll continue talking about the fans with this next question. You know, the Bravehearts do so much for the fans, so much for the community, as do many teams around the league. Just last week, you guys wore your autism awareness jerseys, which were amazing to look at, too. And you also donated drawstring bags to children with type 1 diabetes via the UMass Memorial Medical Center. I personally have to thank Dave and the Credence for that because, you know, I've had diabetes almost my whole life. And uh, those little things like the drawstring bags are huge. So thanks to Credence and uh, Dave Peterson for that. How much pride does your ball club take in, in giving back to the community? Yeah. And I, 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 to answer your question, I think that if we didn't take pride in giving back to the community, we wouldn't exist. If we didn't give back to the community, we wouldn't exist because that's what drives us, you know, and that's why we are who we are. And I think again, that, that I've taken so much of that out of my career from the Bravehearts because it's like, this is a community. And I said it, I was on the radio yesterday, Unity Radio uh, 97.9 in Worcester. And that's basically what I said was, this is my summer home. This is my summer family. And that extends beyond the staff. That goes to the fans. You know, there's so many season ticket holders now that I've seen and I've known for four or five years that I come up to during the game. And it's like, you know, it's almost like that's my cousin, you know, and it's just like a normal season ticket holder for the Bravehearts. But it's awesome, you know, to be able to go in the community and do all these things and to go to these community events in Worcester with the mascot and see a five-year-old kid just amazed at the fact there's this big furry lion coming up to him or her, giving them, uh, you know, giving a hug to them is awesome. And all these different things, whether it's the autism awareness jerseys in uh, July 24th, we have the Tech together jerseys, uh, you know, anything like that. The, the Friday night bright be the match jerseys are just, the jerseys are a small part of it, but it's all of these different organizations and, uh, you know, especially with the Bravehearts, I've kind of been able to tap into every department. And one thing that I've really enjoyed is, you know, group outings, group sales, working with big groups when they come to you and it's a group of two, 300 people from an organization, whether that be a business or a nonprofit or anything like that. And they say like, you made a difference to not only me, but to two, 300 other people in this ballpark, like it's the best feeling in the world, you know? And some of the big organizations, you don't get a chance to see all of that, but you know, something like the Bravehearts, it's like the, you know, the proof is in the pudding and it's in the name, you know, just Bravehearts in general, why we're named the Bravehearts. Um, just everything about the organization. I think the community, it's such a big time uh, part of our team and it, our team is, you know, we're a baseball team, but above all, we're kind of just a member of the community. We're in the off season. It doesn't stop. You know, it's not like we're like, Oh, you know, here comes the off season time to relax. It's like, we have a pen pal club. We have the summer camps along with that. We have 
you know, before the season we had the uh, after school program. So anything like that, you know, to, to be able to be ingrained in the community is, is such a big part of Worcester. Yeah. And it's such a big part of all these teams and it's been great to see everybody working with their communities to try and improve them. And it's been great. So over your years in the FCBL, what do you think has changed the most in your mind? Oh man. Um, I think every year it's just grown so much where my first year where I worked there, I looked back at the broadcast and we post, we were on YouTube live and the quality wasn't great. And it was like grainy. It was a grainy camera. And uh, you know, I, even the other broadcasts around the league, I'm not even sure if every team had a broadcast. And if it was a broadcast, I'm not sure if it was, you know, working every game or now it's like, we all have, you know, the bloom technology, which is great. And we're all able to see that. So being on the broadcast side, I think that's the first thing I noticed, but the talent has been ridiculous. I mean, you look around the futures and what we've been able to see and the amount of division one talent and the amount of, you know, lower division two, division three, but how great those guys have been. And, you know, the name I always come to mind is Nick Martin, who is a division three guy. He's a local guy. And I remember being underneath the tent and having a conversation in 2018, a year before Nick Martin joined the team with his head coach from Shrewsbury. And he basically told me and Dave Peterson, Nick Martin's going to be a brave heart. And he's going to be one of the best decisions that you guys make that year. Sure enough in 2019, he's one of the best guys on the team and uh, basically bumps us to a championship in 2019. So you have your great division one talent. We got two Vanderbilt guys this year. Uh, we got a couple Dayton kids, you know, uh, there's a bunch of Kansas state kids around the league. So you've got your high upper echelon of division one talent, but your division two, your division three guys are just as talented and they're competing. And I think that's what's so cool about the futures league is how much baseball has grown in new England where, you know, when I started in 2017, it was like, Oh, you want to find good baseball, either go down to the Cape or go down South because you're not going to find it in central Massachusetts, or at least, you know, the, the talent that is down South and in the Cape. And now I think it's, you know, it's competing right there. It's, it's, right up there with any other baseball league, baseball program, uh, collegiately that there is. So I think it's definitely last year was huge. Uh, just the fact that we played. And I think these kids who maybe were going elsewhere, whether that be in the Northwoods league, the Cape league, uh, any CBL, whatever it is, they joined the futures league last summer and they were like, wow, you know, this is, this is great. And then they go and tell their teammates. And then before you know it, there's a pipeline there. Uh, you know, the Bravehearts had that with St. Leo for a little bit. Uh, now with Vanderbilt, you know, where these kids are joining from these big schools and they're telling their teammates, hey, look, it's great playing here. You know, last year, there's a reason we had 17 returners to start the year because so many people were like, hey, go down and play for the Bravehearts. It's a great time. And they treat us well. And, uh, you know, and I think that that's a big thing, too, where we have to uh, – as, as an organization, we want not only our fans to, you know, kind of love being at the Bravehearts, but the players as well, obviously. Before we get back to our interview with Donnie Picaro, we want to share a message from our friends at On Demand Storage. Are you tired of living in clutter? Do you need more space around your home or office? Are you sick of visiting your self-storage unit? Does your business need a way to securely and conveniently store excess materials? On Demand Storage will pick up your items directly from your location and put them in storage for you. When you want something put back, Give us a call and we can deliver it back right away. We bring convenience to the outdated self-storage process. Visit ondemandstorage.com and submit an inquiry. During sign-up, mention the Futures League and receive 50% off your storage pickup. Once again, that's ondemandstorage, all one word, dot com. We now return to our interview with Donnie Picaro. Yeah, so transitioning a little more to your personal side, this isn't the first time actually you and I have worked together as you were the host of the Don and DeAngelis sports talk show at Suffolk. Uh, once upon a time, it was number one, and then someone came and swooped in and took that from you. <laughs> but uh, do you prefer the sports talk side or being in the booth and broadcasting a game? Um, honestly, I prefer – at first, I prefer the sports talk side because I was someone that, that loved to give takes about anything and – I'm someone that I'll give a take about anything. I mean, last night in the press box when we were working the Legion games, we were talking about conspiracy theories and you know what I had a take about a movie that I think is a conspiracy theory, but whatever, I'm not going to get into it on here, but borderline anything, any conversation I can give you a take for. And I think that that's what made uh, the radio show so fun was the fact that I was able to just talk about whatever I wanted and just 
give a 20 minute take on something and go on a rant and just be like, Hey, this is what I think of it. Here's why. And in two weeks, I'm going to, it's going to be proven why I'm right. And sometimes I'd be right. Other times I'd be dead wrong. You know, in 2018, I said the Pats were going to be limited in the first round and they won the Super Bowl. So I've had some bad <laughs> takes over the years, but um, yeah. And, and as far as the broadcast side, it is fun. Um, and I think that especially now when I have such a greater appreciation of the players and league, I think that's why the nesting games are going to be so fun because I'm going to be able to tell a story where when I first went into broadcast, I didn't really understand the fact that not only are you telling what's happening, but you're basically telling a story, whether you're on play by play for radio or whether you're on play by play television uh, where you don't have to be as descriptive, you're still kind of telling the story of the game. And with the nesting games for the futures league, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a lot of the history of the Worcester Bravehearts, the history of the Pittsfield Suns and Wakona Park, even though we're not playing there, and the history of Fit and Field, history of the Futures League, stuff like that. So uh, I do kind of enjoy it and have a greater appreciation of things like that. But as far as my personal life uh, and what I enjoy, the radio side is great. And, um, you know, even the podcast, I'm sure we'll get into that. But that was something that I think was really special uh, because – I talked for so long in my life and I've had so many of, you know, the radio shows where I was the host, where I think it was good to, it, it, it's always fun to listen to what other people have to say. And the Nesson broadcast last year, were another great example of that, because we had some great guests, whether it be uh, Mike Gambino and the BC head coach, Joe Palucci, the league commission, anything like that, just being able to hear their stories and why they enjoy the futures league was also uh, really cool. You just segued right into the podcast question. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, listening to yourself, yeah, you certainly did that a lot on the On the Sidelines with Don Percaro podcast. What motivated you to start that podcast, and what was it like to have so many incredible guests come on and share their stories? Yeah, the the On the Sidelines podcast is something that, I mean, I miss. I haven't had an episode in two months because I've been so uh, you know intertwined with baseball over the last, I literally haven't had a day where I wasn't working a baseball game in like two months, so it's been kind of crazy. Uh, so I had to kind of draw back on the first season and uh, season two will get started once uh, the baseball season ends. But I remember it was a conversation I was having actually with uh, your former co-host, Matt Tilly. So I'll shout him out a little bit. And we were talking about different things we wanted to do uh, during COVID. And I remember the one thing when we had no sports was I wanted to kind of make a difference in an in industry that, uh, you know, a lot of people are trying to make a difference in. And at the time there was no sports. And I knew that there was nothing I could do on the field, on the court, but maybe there was something I could do kind of off it. And I remember talking to Dave. I was talking to, uh, I'll shout another guy out, Jocks Lambert, who I worked with in 2018. And I've worked with him on a plethora of different projects. Uh, he's been another one of my mentors. And talking to these guys who have so many great stories. I mean, you have a conversation with Dave for an hour. He can tell you just uh, so many stories about not only the Brave Hearts, but just any career in sports uh same with jocks who was actually uh he was billy ray cyrus's manager for like three years uh to give you a little bit of perspective as to what he's done in the entertainment industry so listen to the guys like that tell their stories um you know and the stories that i have had being only 22 years old you know i've had just a bunch of stories in the industry so i figured that everyone else who works it probably has similar stories and so i started the on the sidelines podcast which is basically a podcast having people from within the industry come on and tell the stories of how they got hired, where they're working and what they do. And to kind of give advice to people like us who are young and uh, want to get into the industry. And uh, it was a little selfish because, you know, a, I wanted connections and I felt that was a great way to make a connection and be like, Hey, come on my podcast. But also because I was front and center and it felt like I was a student with a you know a college student with a guest speaker or a guest lecturer because that's basically what it was is I can ask these big people in the industry any questions I want about sports and kind of get all my questions answered uh, to get a better understanding of the industry and some of the guests that came on were, were just so awesome and told some great stories uh, I remember one of my old Suffolk professors who I had on Frank Arizieri uh, he talked about how he used to work for the university of Florida and he, during the Tebow years and how he had to give Tim Tebow separate uh, finals on separate days because the press and the media would try to come in and take pictures of him, like taking the tests, uh, you know? So it was like weird things like that, but also you get your, your actual 
um, you know, your, your entertainment side of stories, you know, the fun stories, but you also get your legitimate uh, people talking about, you know, what they do in the industry. Pete Sachs from the New York Mets came on and he gave a great in-depth uh, conversation, a great in-depth look at inside sales uh, for the New York Mets and what he did and the deals that he closed and how he kind of worked around them. Uh, Marty Mulford from the Columbus Blue Jackets, vice president of ticket sales. I had him on and he was another great person that kind of went inside and gave you an inside look at his sales department and how he runs the organization and uh, how he's able to kind of uh, do his job. So the, the guests have been great. I can just go on and on about all the amazing guests that I've had, including Dave and Jocks. Both of them were episodes two and three, right off the bat, my first two guests. Uh, but just everyone around those organizations that, uh, you know, were so, so awesome that they just decided they, they did want to come on because, you know, you, you get busy with work. And so to take an hour out of your busy day to talk to some random kid who lives, you know, at, at some points all the way on the other side of the country, uh, and back a miss, you know, she's from Seattle. So she had no business being like, Oh yeah, I'll just take this random podcast in Massachusetts, but she did. And she was awesome. Uh, and she gave some great inside stories about sports in Seattle. So, uh, yeah, I think it's great to get an inside look at all of the different people within the area. And if I can help one person, uh, you know, break into the sports industry by listening to that podcast. And when I say me personally help, I kind of mean my guests, uh, you know, but at the same time, like I said, I've talked for so many years, so I figured I could uh, hand the mic off to someone else and let them tell their side of the story. Yeah, that's awesome. And again, the talking continues on Saturday when you are the play-by-play announcer for Nesson. Once again, that's the four Saturdays in July. So really excited for those. But in the meantime, we're going to get to our final segment now. It's called Quick Hits. It's presented by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the Futures League. Zephyr, high quality and innovative design since 1993. Donnie, we know you've been waiting for these. We can't wait to lay them on you. So let's get started here. Who has been your favorite press box teammate over your years with the Bravehearts? Oh, man. I, there's going to be like four different people that are going to be upset at me if I don't choose uh, the right one here. But let me just – I'll give you a quick rundown of uh, some of the guys that I'd I've, I've love to work with. Uh, it starts off with J.R.C. who was my press box teammate from 20 20- – 17 my first year to I want to say 20 yeah 2020 he was he's yeah he skipped 2019 he was 2017 2018 he came back for 2020 and he was the first person I ever did a broadcast with he was the play-by-play I was the caller that was a game that I um I filled in for Bob LaBelle our former announcer and it was me and JR and that kid I promise you is the hardest working kid I've seen run through this staff uh, last year, he came back to help with us during COVID, was my right-hand man for the broadcast, ended up basically being uh, the production assistant for all the broadcasts. And uh, I mean, I watched that kid from Doyle Field because we had to play at Doyle Field last year, carry a, I don't know, a 10-foot ladder from the locker room, which is located behind right field to the home plate dugout every single game so we could have a camera up on the fence, uh, you know, just because he was he was there. He did it right away. And it was small things like that, you know? Uh, so Jr. was awesome. Been my right-hand man for years. Uh, one of my favorite broadcast partners too. I feel like me and him really clicked in the booth because uh, it, both of us didn't really take ourselves too seriously in the booth, you know? So it was a lot of joking, a lot of fun times up there. Um, Anthony Mazzini is another great one. He's with the Florence Alls right now. So uh, he's working, you know, he's broadcasting professional baseball, which is awesome. I'm so happy for that kid. Um, and then, Paul Lambert, you know, this year, Paul selected to the all-star game as a broadcaster this year, well-deserving of it. Uh, He's been one of the teammates of mine for four years now as well. So uh, between those three guys in the press box, I think Maz, Paul, and uh, JR, who I've all worked with for multiple years. I mean, those guys are, those guys are the best. Yeah, for sure. Those are all great guys. And then how about favorite ballpark that you've attended as a fan? Oh, um, Favorite ballpark I've attended as a fan. Uh, I, I'm a Red Sox fan, so this is going to be tough, but the old Yankee Stadium uh, was just awesome. I mean, the history of that park as well. I, I, Fenway is kind of the easy answer. You know, I've been there so many times. But uh, the old Yankee Stadium, I went when I was uh, nine years old, and I'll tell you a story. 
Uh, the only there, it's a personal bias because I went to a Yankees and Blue Jays game, and this has a Bravehearts tie-in. Uh, I went to a Yankees Blue Jays game. Now my mom grew up with Mariano Ricciardi's dad, JP, who was the man, the GM at the time of the Toronto Blue Jays, and so we went to a Yankees game myself and my mom, and JP gave us tickets right behind the Blue Jays dugout. And me and Mariano were actually really good friends at the time because we went to Worcester Academy summer camp together. So uh, it's kind of one big connection. And uh, JP said, here, you know, here's some tickets right behind home plate. And so in the I don't know, fourth or fifth inning of the game, it was Blue Jays, Yankees, Vernon Wells catches a uh, fly ball to end the inning. And we're probably three rows back. And he tosses the ball up. Uh, to end the inning like you know they normally do when they're going back to the dugout and as he tosses the ball up I'm nine or ten years old I like dive into the next stand and I catch the ball diving to the next stand and it was number nine on ESPN's top 10 plays when I was nine years old I have the clip of it so as a nine-year-old I made ESPN's top 10 plays because I dove in front of a row in front of me and caught a ball and that's all thanks to course brave hearts uh legend mariano ricciotti's father so uh it all kind of tied in but yeah i would say that yankee stadium uh the old yankee stadium was probably my favorite park a because of the bias and b because i think it's just a great park all uh all together and that's a pretty good transition to go from that sounds like a bucket list item but how about a sports stadium or sporting event that's on your bucket list uh sports oh i got a guest here popping in just wanted hey. to <laughs> what's up Dave? there you go so there you go dave peterson makes an appearance on the podcast that's great bucket list item all right i was prepared for this question because i got three for you uh the first one is wrestlemania i was a huge wrestling guy i was a huge uh wwe fan from the time i was younger i went to one that they had in the dcu center where ozzy osbourne was actually there for that i don't know if you guys are wrestling fans if you remember anything like that but I was always a big wrestling guy and WrestleMania has always been like my number one thing on the bucket list, which everyone kind of thinks is like weird because, you know, not many 20 something year olds like WWE. It's more like a kid's thing, but I love the entertainment value of it. Um, so the WrestleMania, I don't really watch it as much now, but uh, the actual pay-per-view WrestleMania, I think would be sick to go to uh, my number two, obviously the Super Bowl. I think that's just a bucket list item. And I mean, I've been to the NHL finals. I've been to, uh, I haven't been to an NBA finals. I've been to the NBA uh, Eastern Conference finals, but um, those have been and, boring, and, anyways. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's not the final yet, so <laughs> I'll I'll be satisfied when I get to an NBA finals and uh, maybe the team that I'm either rooting for and or working for uh, wins. Then I'll be excited for that one. Uh, but the third one is the Nathan's uh, hot dog eating contest on the Fourth of July because I remember from 2017 on, me and Jr. Uh, we used to watch that because we used to always have games on the 4th of July and we used to have like this big barbecue cookout. So 2017, 2018, 2019, we played the hot dog eating contest audio over the loudspeakers pregame because we had a one o'clock game or two o'clock game, whatever it was. And uh, we would watch it on my laptop, which was streamed to ESPN. So that was something that I always want to go to the 4th of July. I'm going to make that happen one 4th of July. Uh, hopefully one that I'm not working a baseball game because that's been, kind of the deal for the last five years for me so uh hopefully when i'm not working a baseball game on the fourth of july i'll head out to uh staten island to see the hot dog eating contest and you mentioned favorite big league team earlier so how about favorite big league player whether it's current or historical this one i gotta go obvious it's david ortiz i mean it, the guy first of all whenever i'm judging a player going back to the radio uh segments you know talking about my radio takes i'm a big winner guy if you're a winner then you're okay in my book and if you're a loser, I don't have time for you. So when it comes to David Ortiz, I mean, you're talking about the greatest clutch hitter in the history of baseball. Uh, the After the Boston bombings, when he comes out and he just gives that huge speech, it's like you get chills just thinking about it. I have a flag in my room of him raising his fist after he gives the, the speech and says, you know, this is my beeping city. And so I, he's just my favorite player of all time. I grew up watching him. Uh, when I was in first grade, when they won in 2004, I convinced my mom to stay up for those games till one o'clock in the morning. And I didn't fall asleep. Like, and I've never met another six or seven year old that can stay up till one o'clock in the morning. But 
Um, I was literally sneaking the game into my television, watching it when I was like seven years old, uh, because I just loved the Red Sox so much that year. And I wanted them to beat the Yankees and all that other stuff. So um, it's an obvious choice. It's David Ortiz. Yeah, can't go wrong there. So besides tequila, what would be your walk-up song if you're coming into the booth or onto the field or pulling the tarp? Oh, man, walk-up song. This is a tough one. Uh, if I'm a pitcher, I'm probably, which I wasn't, but uh, I feel like you get a longer walk-up song. Uh, I'm probably going to go Crazy Train just because it's, you know, it, it's, it's one of those songs. It's like it, you're ready to go right off the bat. Uh, or The Game – uh, by Motorhead, which is Triple H's WWE superstar walk-up song uh, when he walks out into the ring. Uh, any any type of WWE wrestling song, I feel like it's just a sick walk-up. And um, it, that's probably something I would go with uh, if I was a pitcher. But anything, I think WWE uh, would be a great walk-up song. The Stone Cold Steve Austin song right off the bat. It's just like the glass shattering. It goes right into it. So uh, something like that, I feel like they always make the best walk-up songs. Yeah, with the fans in mind, too, because they love all those. Yeah, like the the John Cena music, if you ever play that in the stadium, the fans go nuts. It's that. I've learned that it's either the John Cena music where the kids go nuts, or if you play the SpongeBob theme song, you get all the kids that say, uh, you know, when it's like, are you ready, kids? And you just have 3,000 uh, little kids screaming, aye, aye, Captain. We had that happen uh, during one of our BIE days in 2019 it's it's the greatest thing in the world or that during the nesting game so uh listen up for it absolutely so this one's geared towards the nesting game too or when you're broadcasting a game in general any superstitions before or during the broadcast uh not really uh I, i'm someone that doesn't really have many superstitions um i used to when i played baseball a little bit but for the most part it's just kind of get out there uh do your thing and you know kind of forget the fact you're on tv because, you know, some people just get really, you know, shook by the fact that they're on TV. But like I said, I think that it does help me out that I've been in front of uh, 18,000 people and, you know, I've had things go wrong, especially with the Celtics before COVID, you know, that, that uh, position where it was basically the live events position where you have a headset and you have, uh, you know, 90 seconds to tell the dunk team or the dance team or anything like that to get off the court. And, um, if we're not going over time, this uh, I'll tell a little story here. Uh, but the the thing that really you know got me to like oh crap like I'm really just going out and doing this was uh, they were playing the Rockets the Celtics were and uh, this was when Jalen Brown hit uh, he hit like a game winning three pointer Jason Tatum missed the free throw and Jalen Brown hit the uh, game winning three and it went into overtime. Now usually what happens is we have a dance team run onto the court. And if you've ever been to a Celtics game, they have those big banners. And the first one says like, let's, the second one says go. And then it's a Celtics and they pull the banners from the bottom. Now, what you don't see is there is someone that is underneath the banner with a headset in telling all the, the people when to get off the court, when to get on the court. And in the live events industry, there's something called a hot timeout, which is basically, or a red hat, they call it sometimes, which is basically an unplanned timeout. So you have your, your typical, uh, you know, four minutes after the, uh, the game starts, you have your first planned timeout, uh, the eight-minute mark, the four-minute mark, whatever the case may be, whatever sport it is, you have your planned timeouts. And then especially in a sport like basketball, where you have to fill the final two minutes, you have your unplanned timeouts. And this was obviously the last second of the game. It's an unplanned timeout. And so Jalen Brown hits the three-point shot, and they – the dancers and lucky and the mascot run onto the court. And as this is happening, the referees now have to review the play of whether or not it was a good three pointer, which means that they can't be on the court. And the person who I was working with was underneath the banner, but it was so loud in the garden because everyone was just going absolutely crazy that he couldn't hear in his headset that we were trying to get off the court to get them to review it. And so I'm now trying to run on the court to tell them, that they have to go in and they have to, you know, get off the court basically. And I bump into someone as I'm running onto the court and I look up like this and it's Tracy McGrady, who's six foot seven, who is just standing right over me. And I'm basically, I, I, before that, I almost had to be like, Hey, get out of the way. And I bumped into him and realized this guy was six foot seven. So I wasn't going to say anything that was going to uh, upset him in any way. 
And on my way to court, I run into Tracy McGrady and I had to literally go on the court and basically communicate from them, you know, wave them down that they had to get off the court because it was so loud in there uh, that you couldn't hear it. So uh, when you have something like that and you have people from upper management, you know, telling you, you have to get off the court, you have to do it right now, right now, right now, uh, you know, d- doing a nesting game kind of seems uh, a little bit easier. So uh, I'm very lucky that I was kind of put in that spot where I have those experiences to kind of make this seem a little easier. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you still get your, you still get your pregame nerves. So I'm sure from uh, game starts at 12, I'm sure from like 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock, I'll be shaking a little bit. And then once the game starts, we'll be good to go. Yeah, and you won't need to, like, try to have Tracy McGrady hear you all the way up there. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm sure Yellen wouldn't even have done much considering he's, like, probably two feet taller than me. All right, and last question of our quick hit segment presented by Zephyr. What's your favorite all-time baseball memory? Ooh, favorite all-time baseball memory. Um, All right, I'll give you baseball, and I'll give you Bravehearts. Uh, Baseball was – I, but I mean, I, I gave you a story of the, the top 10 play. That was probably my favorite baseball memory, but That's um, up there. My, yeah, it's definitely got to be up there. Uh, but my first game when I went to Suffolk, uh, be, you know, you know what, scratch that. Uh, when the Red Sox won in 2004, uh, I remember telling my mom, my mom tells me this all the time. Uh, when the documentary came out of the four days in October, uh, you know, they, I'm sure you guys have both seen it. Right four days in October. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Any, yeah. Anyone in new England's basically seen that documentary. Yeah. And so uh, they show cut, they show cuts of people at the bar, you know, they show like cask and flag and they're all celebrating. They're all at the bar. And I was seven years old. And I told my mom, I, I want to be at a bar when the Red Sox win the world series. Now, usually that's probably concerning for a mother that their seven year old says, you know, I want to be at a bar. Uh, <laughs> drinking and watching the Red Sox win a World Series. But, like, obviously it kind of made more sense just because I was a diehard uh, Sox fan at the time. And so I said to my mom, whenever they decide to – whenever they go back to the World Series, I need to be at a bar. I need to watch. I need to be in that atmosphere because that was just, like, something I always kind of looked up to. And 2018, uh, they were obviously playing the Dodgers on the road. And, and it was a Sunday. And I remember it was me and, like, six of my buddies. And – uh we kind of said, Hey, what are we doing for the game tonight? All right. Cask and flagging, which is right across the street. Now they're on the road. So, uh, you know, the best place to watch it in Boston was a bar. You couldn't get tickets anywhere. And this was the final game, game five. And, uh, I went with five of my buddies to cask and flag and we got there wicked early to make sure we got seats. And I remember the Patriots were playing, uh, I think it was the Vikings, uh, during that Sunday game, whatever it was. And, uh, they, and and we convinced one of my other friends to go and we basically convinced him by saying, whenever he got married and had children, we were going to tell his children that he was the only one that didn't attend this event. Well, everyone else, uh, celebrated and rioted in the streets of Boston. So we convinced one of my other buddies to go, uh, there was six of us, we get to cask and flag and, and the atmosphere was just exactly how I pictured it. Like it was straight up a scene from four days in October, like Mookie Betts had a home run. The whole bar went ballistic. Um, it was just so cool, like the whole atmosphere. And it was funny because I called my mom in the bar and I was like, hey, like I'm living out the dream that I told you I was going to live out when I was seven years old. Now, uh, you know, two very different dreams, being on Nesson and then being at a bar, but they all kind of circled around Red Sox baseball. So uh, it, it was just really cool. And then after that, I had a fever pitch moment where I got interviewed for Channel 7 uh, I think it was channel, channel five, channel seven, but we were in the middle of the streets of Boston. And one of the reporters come up to me and I have a video of me screaming into the camera saying like, let's go socks, like being an idiot, of course. And, uh, but it was just so funny to watch it. And one of my professors, uh, during the time at Suffolk, um, came up to me the next day because he had worked at channel seven, Mike Fahey. And, uh, he was like, Hey, I, uh, saw your clip on the news yesterday. And I was like, ah, uh, yeah, you know, uh, that happened. You know, I was very excited. The Red Sox won the World Series, uh, but it was just a blast. And, and that was something that kind of, uh, you know, was really, really a favorite memory of mine uh, for the for the favorite baseball memory, F- favorite Bravehearts memory. Uh, tequila's up there. Uh, Bravehearts winning in 2019, being in Bristol for that uh, was up there. And then uh, in 2017, we had like a three-way tiebreaker uh, to see who's going to go into the playoffs. And it was a second game of doubleheader. And basically it was me, 
and uh, one of my coworkers, Drew Goldstein, who uh, went down the list to, we actually texted Josh Cummins. Josh will remember this story. And we texted him asking what the second or third tiebreaker was. And uh, he told us, and we went through the list. First tiebreaker, still a tie. It was like us and Marth. It was us, Marth's Vineyard, and I think Bristol at the time. And uh, first tiebreaker, still tied. Second tiebreaker, we eliminated Bristol or whatever it was. So it was like between us and Martha's Vineyard. And the third tiebreaker was like wins against potential playoff or wins against playoff teams or whatever it was. So we had to go down the list of each schedule and take our records against playoff teams. Now, mind you, Bristol still could have been in. So we had to do our record as if Bristol made it and do our record as if Martha's Vineyard made it and do our record as if Nashville made it. So we sat here for like five innings trying to figure out who got the final tiebreaker if we were to win the next game. And we figured out that if we beat Pittsfield that next day, we would get the tiebreaker. And of course, this was all a bunch of math, which was like my worst subject anyways. But I was like, nope, I guarantee you I'm right. And we had to send the press release out. And I told my assistant GM, I was basically like, look, I am 100% right. I know I'm right. I know I did the math correctly. You could fire me if we're wrong. Uh, I put it in the press release. If we win tomorrow, we're in the playoffs. And the next day uh, we beat Pittsfield. We're in the playoffs. It was still a question. They went back to me They said, do you have that sheet with all the math on it? And I pull out this crinkled up piece of paper uh, that had the sheet explaining who made the playoffs. It, if whatever happened, happened, it checked out, we made the playoffs and uh, we went to the championship that year as we do every year. All right. You know, had, have done every year. I don't want to jinx anything this year. But um, yeah, and that was kind of cool because it was like, oh, for once in my life, you know, my math actually checked out and uh, it helped. So uh, yeah, that was a pretty cool Brave Hearts moment for me. And that was my first year. Yeah, that's awesome. And those are two incredible memories. And obviously we were part of the fanship for the 2018 World Series as well. So that's awesome. Well, Donnie, that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck with everything. And we can't wait to see you on Nesson. Again, that's the next four Saturdays of July on Nesson Futures League Baseball and at Hanover Insurance Park all season long. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. You guys do an absolutely great job. I listen to every episode. Uh, to watch this podcast grow as well has been great. So uh, you guys make know that, Johnny, you've been great since you got here. So uh, keep up the good work, guys. Yeah, really appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks to all the listeners, and including you. And this has been episode 18 of season three of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday and Thursday. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We're streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And once again, be sure to tune into Nesson starting this weekend. Johnny and Donnie will be on TV. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.